What is up, Baton Rouge, and welcome to the 11th episode of the Tiger Pride Podcast presented by 225 Magazine, and we have a big one for you. It is Bama Week, LSU's traveling to Tuscaloosa to take on the top-ranked Crimson Tide. We're going to start you off with an interview with local ESPN radio host Matt Muscona, host of After Further Review on 1045-1049 ESPN Radio every weekday afternoon from 3 to 6 p.m., Matt breaks down LSU's season as a whole to this point and what the Tigers have to do to win in Tuscaloosa against Alabama. It's going to be a daunting task, but don't want to miss what he has to say. After that, Jarrett and I will bring you our normal segment. Instead of players of the week, we'll look at players to watch in this week's matchup and break down all aspects, offense, defense, special teams, how LSU stacks up against Alabama, and what needs to happen Saturday for LSU to come out on top. It's a jam-packed episode, a little bit longer than normal, but please stick with us. It's full of good information, and uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Mark Clements with 225 Magazine over here at the uh, Guarantee Offices with the one and only Matt Moscona, host of After Further Review on 1045-1049 ESPN Radio in Baton Rouge. LSU Bama Week, so obviously a big week for you guys over here, so we appreciate the time uh, with us. Yeah, and I am the one and only. There are literally no other Matt Moscona's in the world. Literally? I've I've looked. I mean, there's um, Moscona, really? (laughs) True, true. My my family's name was actually... uh, Salvaggio when they came over. How did that? And exactly. So I always like to think that somebody was running from somebody. You know what I mean? Gotcha. You change your name gotcha. from Salvaggio to Moscona, it's like, hey, man, son, you were getting away from somebody, you bro. You Moscona to some risky people. Indeed. I think I looked it up, and there's there's a, a little handful of Mark of Mark Clements's. I think uh, Clements a little more a little more common. Samuel Clements too. It's That's a big right. One. It's a big one. And then Mark Twain. So it's kind of like a Mark if you combine the oh, two. Oh, see right? what you just did. How yeah, about you that? Did. How about that? Focusing in on LSU now. If I would have told you preseason that they were six and two going into the bye I don't think you would have been super surprised yeah. I think in hindsight when you look at where and how the losses came that part of it is a surprise what's your I guess overall assessment of coach O's first year the Matt Canada offense coming in Dave Aranda's second year and just kind of where this team sits with some really some really low lows and a couple yeah. couple good highs um just at this point I don't know that there have been highs yet I think the, the Auburn win is a not a super duper high but it's it's an it's a, a, ni- it's a nice night. It's a nice win. It is a nice win, um, but I don't think Auburn's a very good. It's not. They're not a great team, right? And and you can't ignore the fact that you got down twenty to them, and you needed literally the biggest comeback in the history of your stadium in a conference game. You know, yeah. you you need a DJ Shark to return a punt for a touchdown. You needed Jared Stidham to throw it to the other team a couple times. Like you needed to find a kicker. Which apparently you didn't have a few weeks you before on the now, roster. Now you got one. Now you got a couple on the roster. <laughs> um, but they did. They made the plays. And you like, yeah, Auburn had had some brain farts. And I can't believe Gus Malzahn ran it on first down 17 straight times. And those are things that in hindsight, late in his career, he'll look back and go, man, I was stupid. But he did. And LSU capitalized. So you give them credit. Uh, but overall, man, I, I certainly would not have thought you lose by 30 to Mississippi State. And it's never okay to lose to Troy. I'll give them a ton of credit because at that point in the season, you go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. You either pack it up, you face plant, you you basically do what's happened to Florida State right now, or you go the other way. You know, you 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 decide we're going to show a little pride. We're going to try really hard and beat teams that we can beat. Mm-hmm. And they and they've been rewarded. They've won three straight games, and you know they're in a position to play for something meaningful. And I don't think they're going to beat Alabama, but. If they do, they have three games where they're going to be favored 
and a chance to get to Atlanta. So, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, if you're at Ogeron now, you can sell to your team, hey, we still have a lot to play for. Uh, but, you know, yes, you know, where's the program? I don't think, I don't think, I, I don't want to get into the habit. I think fans are doing this way too much. Like, I hear this every week on the radio show after every game. It's like an assessment of the program and where it stands. Weekly. Which is... If you do that weekly, you're going to drive yourself insane. Because you just, you can't. If if you if you had, had been so reactionary after the loss to Troy, and people were talking buyouts of the coach, well, now you've won three in a row and you look stupid <laughs> for doing that. So let's wait till the season ends because if they lose to Bama respectably and win their next three and finish nine and three, I think most people look around and go, man, if they had just shown up against State and Troy, you could have been talking about an 11-1 football team mm-hmm. legitimately in the conversation for the playoff. So maybe there is reason to believe that he's got the arrow pointing in the right direction, which certainly wasn't the case a month ago where people wanted to fire the guy. Right. So, yeah, I'd, ask me again in a month. So let's look at the LSU-Alabama game in particular. And obviously LSU's <laughs> overmatched in just about every every aspect of this game on paper. So what is, if you're LSU, what has to be your blueprint on Saturday to come out of there with with a win? Obviously a lot has to go right, but what is your what is your blueprint for that game? I think for as much as, as the game plan against Alabama was criticized, I understand what Les Miles always tried to do. Mm-hmm. You knew your strength was great defense and running the game and running the ball. So while you couldn't run the way LSU ran against Alabama, or, or tried to anyway, just 10 in the box, run against a brick wall, move bodies, what they did successfully was, in the games in Baton Rouge anyway, play a little ball control, shrink the game, play great defense, keep it close, and give yourself a chance. You know, if one of those fluke plays happen, or if you you get a a fortuitous bounce, if you get Eric Reed's interception at Mm -hmm. the goal line, if you get the muffed punt in 2012 when it looked like maybe Alabama was about to pull away, and all of a sudden LSU's got a short field, when you get those plays, you're just a score away from being tied in the lead. Mm -hmm. So I think, to your question, LSU needs to do – you need to go play spectacular defense and then shorten the game by running the football. Danny Etling is not going to beat Alabama. Danny Etling couldn't pick apart Troy, okay? Danny Etling can't five- and seven-step drop a Sunbelt school – He's not doing that in Bryant-Denny Stadium against that defense. Like, Danny Etling is not coming out of that game with a 22 of 28 for 275 and two scores type day. Like, I'll bet my life on it. It's not <laughs> happening. Right. I mean, this 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 offense last year with Danny Etling at the helm, and remember, Ed Ogeron had taken over, and they were setting records against Missouri and Ole Miss mm-hmm. and all that. They scored no points. Goose egg. In Baton Rouge, now you're taking that quarterback to Tuscaloosa. Like the one thing that that gives LSU a chance is the unknown of Matt Canada, because LSU offensively is going to—I don't know if it'll work—but they're going to try to do something different than put ten in the box and run run right into a brick wall. They're going to try to do something different. Will the motions and the jet sweeps work? Can they bust a seventy-yarder like Gage did against Auburn? Mm-hmm. Maybe. And, and if they get a couple of busted plays, defense plays great, maybe they're in a game in the fourth quarter and they can have a play go their way. I mean, that, that led right into my next question is is the Matt Canada offense. And we've seen kind of a mixed bag from 
results-wise at least, and of his offense. I think, granted, against a bad defense, I thought Ole Miss was probably the best game that he's called so far this year. Oh, and, by a mile. Yeah. yeah. Do you? I mean, is that overall approach? I guess like you said we'll yet to see if it'll work, but just before the game, do you, is that overall approach of a little more spread out, a little more, a lot of options, whether it's gauge on the jet sweeps or giving the ball to guys and having guys and Williams in the backfield together or a lot of different options as opposed to the lineup in an eye and run down your throat. Is this, is this approach yeah. give you more confidence in what could possibly be, you know, an outcome for LSU? Well, look, I would say look at the, look at what has worked against Alabama. Okay. You've typically had really athletic quarterbacks that can create. If it was Deshaun Watson, even when Trevor Knight was at Oklahoma, people forget about that game, the Sugar Bowl in 2014. You look at like Steven Garcia back in 2010 for South Carolina. And you've had big time receivers that could make, that could win one on one matchups with Alabama's secondary. If it was an Alshon Jeffrey, even Ruben Randall, people forget that 2010 yeah. game in Baton Rouge, Ruben Randall had a 75 yard catch and run in that ball game. You know, if you can win those one on ones, that's your other your other option. I don't think LSU has that receiver on this team right now. At least not a guy that they trust. Like I think athletically, you could put Drake Davis on an island. He could he could make a cut, turn on the afterburners, and if Etling hits him in stride, he's gone. Mm-hmm. And that's tough for anybody to cover. I just don't think they trust him to run the right routes and do what he's supposed to do and catch the ball. And so I don't think we're going to see that. I think you're going to see Russell Gage and DJ Chark and Derek Dillon, and and those aren't the types of guys that are going to beat Alabama. So. You know, I, you asked it. You know, does does the does Canada's offense give you hope? I mean, only in the sense that I haven't seen Nick Saban's defense defend it. Right. So let me see if he can. Mm-hmm. But that's not the type of offense that traditionally has given Nick Saban's defenses problems. I think everyone's looking at that Clemson Pittsburgh game from last year in the Matt Canada offense and, and how that was successful and kind of hoping to channel some of that against against Alabama. And I guess, yeah. like you said, we'll see. Um, flipping sides of the ball, looking at d- the defensive game plan, obviously everyone's going to say just just stop the run, which is a lot easier said than done against against Alabama. We have seen some great game plans from Dave Aranda, particularly Alabama last year in the second half against Auburn this year. Um, we've also seen LSU struggle to stop the run at times, giving up some big gashing Runs and you mentioned earlier how the defense has to just keep it closed, shorten the game, keep LSU, give them a chance for some play to happen. Are you? Uh, which which way do you think this game's going to swing defensively for LSU? Is it going to be one of those struggle to stop the run situations, or do you think do you have confidence in Dave Aranda to draw something up to keep the game yeah. relatively in check? Man, I don't care if you're the best defensive coordinator in the world if you're putting eight or nine at the line of scrimmage and they're getting blown off the ball and giving up five, six, seven yards of carry, there's there's just nothing else you can do. Um, so this is this is a, a gut-check game for LSU's front seven. The most concerning thing about the Ole Miss game, as lopsided a win as that was for LSU, as fun as it was to watch Darius guys go off and everything, like some kid with a bum wheel from Ole Miss, number 22, I don't even know his name, who who couldn't even walk on at Alabama, ran for six yards of carry against LSU. Yeah. Okay, so exit that cat, enter Bo Scarborough, Damian Harris, some other dude. I was watching their game against Tennessee. They put this other kid in, in the fourth quarter, and he he would be a compl- He would be 
LSU starter next year after not, guys. Najee Harris was that him? Uh, no, it wasn't even him. It no. was, it was some kid Turner's award number five. I don't know. Look him up. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> matter. It's like this. Is my point. It's like who the hell are you? Why are you good? Why is everybody good? <laughs> They're, all- They're all good. <laughs> so, look, this is a. I'll put it. I thought in 2014. I think this front seven to me mirrors 2014. If you remember that year, Ego Ferguson and Freak Johnson left early, and your starting defensive tackles were sophomore Christian Lockature. Your starters, okay? Right. Your first team defensive tackles. Sophomore Christian Lockature, true freshman Davin Gottschall. Those were your start, and that was a front that got massacred by Mississippi State with, with Dak Prescott mm-hmm. and Josh Robinson. And then went to Auburn and just got creamed there, 41-7 to or whatever it was. By the time they got to Bama, they'd grown up. And that was a game, if you remember, that went to overtime 13-13. They played really well that day. So this team needs Greg Gilmore to have the game of his life. Frank Heron. It's like, dude, Christian Lockshire. Guys, y'all been here for five years. You're, you're all 22, 23 years old. You have got to, like... You have just got to play the game of your life. You've got to play like a grown man that's been in the SEC for five years. And then let Rashard Lawrence and Arden Key, your more physically gifted guys, wreak havoc. Mm-hmm. Let Devin White fly around and make a dozen tackles. Um, you know, the guy who was the guy defensively for LSU last year in this game was Dwayne Thomas. Let's see who's going to fill that role. Maybe a, a guy you know, in the slot that, that can uh, come off the edge and blitz. And you know, who's going to be that guy on this team? Um, I LSU's got the talent defensively, and if, if you know if there's if there's a reason that that I think defensively LSU matches up well, LSU has the personnel in the secondary to play man coverage on the outside to say okay I think we can cover one on one on the outside and win those matchups and stop the run with numbers and make make Jalen Hurts beat us throwing the that's what they did last year they did it beautifully yeah. now you also had Tre'Davious White. And you had Jamal Adams, and you had Davin Gottschall. You had you had much better talent right. last year than you do this year. But that's that was the plan last year. It worked. Let's see if they can do it again. So if they're, I'm, I'm just trying to let's see if we can end it or uh, wrap it up a little bit on <laughs> on a positive spin. If there's a reason to feel they're not playing Alabama this week, <laughs> is that the positive spin? <laughs> I wish uh, they get to play. They get to play Kentucky instead of Alabama. Let's say not 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 Troy again though. Yeah. Um, if there's a reason to be optimistic, if there was ever a week with this LSU team to be optimistic, you have Darius guys coming off his best game, probably as healthy as he's been. Same story with Arden Key, probably his best game, the most healthy he's been. Rashard Lawrence can rest his his injuries. Frank Heron's coming back into the mix. If there was, a, you're on a three game winning streak as a team. If there was a time to play Alabama and feel good about yourself entering the game. It has to be this week. I mean, this is as good as they can feel entering the game. It's all you know, considering what happened a month ago and where they sat a month ago. I agree that this there's not there has not been a point in the season where LSU has been better equipped to take on this challenge than mm-hmm. now. For the reasons you mentioned, that they're even remember you can say well, what about the beginning of the season? Well, you have they had injuries in fall camp, but if you remember the BYU game, they had like twelve guys suspended for right. that game, so you were significantly low on numbers. So now a lot of the freshmen who you've counted on are more veteran. They've kind of been through some wars. You are healthier. Um, and, you know, you had two weeks to try to scheme up to, to attack that defense. So I, I, I don't know if it'll work. I don't think it will. And the other thing, you know, if you want to bring the conversation full circle, there's been a couple of times this year where Alabama 
has kind of, Nick Saban has sort of fabricated motivation. If you remember the before the Ole Miss game, when he said, "There's no greater," I think he said, "insult than someone thinking they have your number." They beat Ole Miss sixty-six to three. Yeah. Uh, when they went to Vanderbilt, you know, and there was that that kid from Vanderbilt, the offensive line was like, trash. "We we want Bama. We're ready." It was like a hundred to nothing at halftime. I mean, I think I think Vanderbilt had fifty yards, maybe seventy yards of offense in the game. It was it was an abomination. Yeah. Well, now the Nick Tater gets to say, "Hey, look, the playoffs got you ranked second. You ain't done nothing. What you gonna, you know? Right? It, rat th- poison. There you go. <laughs> he actually didn't. He didn't get the rat poison. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was hoping that maybe he would have gotten the rat poison, but he didn't. He they gave they they spoon fed his team motivation this week. <laughs> and then you've got Devin White saying we're little brother, and you got Darius Geis in the off season saying, you know, we think they're scared of us, yeah. like." They don't forget that stuff. Nick knows how to use all of that as motivation, and he will this week. Mm-hmm. And LSU just there. LSU will have to play a perfect game, and they will have to have Alabama make mistakes. Remember a few years back when when Ole Miss won in Tuscaloosa, Ole Miss Alabama turned it over five times, and Ole Miss even scored a touchdown on some wacky, like twice tipped ball carom. Yeah. Like, Chad Kelly's rolling around, avoiding a sack. He just chucks it, and it gets deflected two or three times. The Ole Miss, I think Adeboyo catches it for Ole Miss and houses it. It's like, that. they needed that to, to hold on and win that game. You know, that's the type of stuff LSU's going to have to have happen. And that's why I'm wondering if this is the game they finally bust out. I mean, we saw so many trick plays from Matt Canada when he was at Pitt, giving left tackles, touchdowns. I'm wondering if this is the game that kind of stuff gets gets busted out. I guess it's better, you know, now, now or never. Maybe. Um, I don't think – I remember when Ed Ogeron was asked about that and um, Ogeron said when Canada brought it up, like, uh, you know, we got this guy uh, named Darius Geis. <laughs> like, let's let's give him the ball or they'll run both of us out of here. You know what I mean? Well, there you go. Matt, it's been, uh, it's been fun, man. Thank you for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it. My pleasure. So that was just a portion of the interview with Matt Moscona. If you want to see the full thing, get over to our SoundCloud, search for 225 Magazine, or subscribe to the podcast. You can search for Tiger Pride Podcast or 225 Magazine on iTunes, and we'll have the full interview for you up there. Matt goes into more detail about the college football playoff rankings, more detail about the season as a whole, and breaks down a few more aspects of the LSU-Alabama game. Now we're going to get into Jarrett and I's predictions for this week. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, we're talking about players of the week, matchups to watch, and give our score predictions for the upcoming game against Alabama. Where else can you find three minds melded into one? Matt Muscona, Jarrett Roser, Mark Clements, all talking LSU football this week in preparation of the Tigers matchup with the Tide. All right, Jarrett. Well, it's Bama week, the week everyone's been waiting for since the start of the start of the year, essentially. Um, and on paper, we talked about this matchup in the past, and on on paper, obviously Alabama the clear favorite, and Vegas has them open as a twenty-one point. Or maybe twenty one and a half, depending on where you where you look. Um, point favorite Alabama, that is. Um, so what I wanted to do is kind of look at the matchups on on paper, and obviously, if you go position group by position group, Alabama is going to be the, the clear favorite. And numbers wise, that's the same. Um, that's the same story. And we talked a little bit whenever we were on the radio last week about what LSU has to do to get a win in this game. 
What's what's in your mind the biggest thing that's going to be the deciding factor uh, in, in this matchup? Well, it's going to take a lot, honestly. There's a reason that they open LSU as the biggest underdog that they've been in a game since 1994, which was before Jerry DiNardo had yep. taken over this program. And, Alabama, I mean, Alabama's just a really strong football team. They've been a really strong football program in in recent years, basically since Nick Saban's second year at the helm. And part of that is that they don't make the same amount of mistakes and don't have the same amount of off days as most programs have. And, and you would expect when dealing with 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old guys, Nick Saban and that coaching staff have managed to make Alabama as steady as you can possibly probably get a group of guys to play uh, as as units and so you're gonna have to hope for a couple of those miscues as rare as as they often are and you need to limit all of your own mistakes from turnovers you want to win the turnover battle that's so huge in games like this to not having blown coverages despite the fact that you need to be way more worried about LSU I mean about Alabama's rushing attack than passing attack because that's that's their focus. But as soon as you are overworried about that, then Calvin Ridley's gone for yep. for six, and it just kind of keeps on going going on down the list. One thing this year's matchup in particular, though, that stands out to me that we talked a little bit about last week is I think new offensive coordinator Matt Canada will bring out a lot more looks and a lot of schematic things that we haven't seen from LSU against Alabama and that that may need to be a big x factor is just that that difference in offensive coaching because how many of these years have we seen this matchup where LSU for instance in Tuscaloosa everyone thinks Leonard Fournette is the greatest thing since sliced bread or chocolate milk or whatever metaphor <laughs> is is your favorite chocolate he's, milk he's going to go yeah I prefer chocolate milk as well <laughs> He, he's going to be the Heisman, and then he gets stuffed repeatedly, and it's because LSU just keeps running him straight into the teeth of that Bama yeah. defense. And I think we'll at least see a little bit more creativity this year offensively than what we've typically seen in these matchups. And if LSU can get a little bit of an edge in that regard, keeping Alabama more off-balanced and getting more space for playmakers like Darius Geis, Darrell Williams, DJ Chark, that – that that may put a little bit more offense on the board for LSU than we've typically seen, and then that defense is going to have to be stout as it as it has been in most of these matchups if if the Tigers are going to want to win because they they are heavy underdogs and for great reason. Yeah. So there's a lot of things you touched on that I want to get more into a little bit, but uh, to start, let's that last point you just made about how they're heavy underdogs. Do you? Do you think Alabama is 21 points? Because people are saying LSU might be the, probably the third, third or maybe fourth best team in the SEC behind Georgia, and you can make maybe an argument that Auburn's in there. So third or fourth, is the is the best team in the conference a 21, point, 21 points better than the third or fourth best team in the conference? Is the, is the gap that big, you think? Or is this – I think it's a little bit more um, – expanded just because of of how impressive Alabama has been so far this year maybe some of those teams aren't as good as we thought they they might be whenever Alabama's putting you know winning 44 to 6 consistently that kind of thing do you, do you think the gap is that big or, or is maybe it's a little bit of uh, fool's gold yeah i 
honestly, going into waiting on on that spread to come out, I thought that it would be low teens just because of LSU coming in off of three straight SEC victories. And when I thought it was going to be that, I thought that it was probably low. Uh, I, I was surprised at, at how big it was that to be over 20 points. And you look, I mean, just a few weeks ago and an okay Texas A&M team had had Alabama in a situation where they only end up losing by eight at home. But I I don't know. I, I really, until I see Alabama falter more, I agree with what you're saying that they haven't, that maybe some of these teams they faced aren't great teams to this point. But I just, I have a difficult time not seeing Alabama as, as an elite, if not the elite team in the country this year until I, I see them falter harder than I've necessarily seen them to this point. Cause I thought, I thought they and Clemson were kind of head and shoulders above the rest of the country. And then Clemson loses a game shortly after I'm telling everyone that I think they're head and shoulders above, <laughs> but they also had the quarterback issue in that game as well, where, where uh, Bryant gets knocked out. And so it, I mean, it really does kind of look like Alabama and everybody else as much as Georgia and Clemson and a couple of other teams are, are kind of right there on their heels. So I, I, I do think it can be this type of a, a three-score type game. Yeah, and there's so many ways I can see this game unfolding. I mean, obviously LSU has played Alabama really really close in the past, especially the, that game last year that um, was scoreless going into the fourth quarter. And, 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 so and you, to LSU's credit, I, I thought that they were more outmatched yeah. in that game than we saw for three quarters. So they they can certainly prove me wrong. And, but on the, on the same note, we've seen this LSU team lose to Troy – lose by 30 to Mississippi State yeah. and despite beating Auburn they were down 20 to 0. So we've seen games get out of hand with this LSU team. They've just been able to fight back in in some of those. So I can definitely see the 21 point spread holding up. I can also see it going the complete opposite direction and LSU I mean again these games there's there's a reason they have their bye week a week before each other. It's, these games are are hard-nosed and and they always play each other tough. Um looking at the combined opponent record for Alabama it's their combined opponent record is 30 and 33. 11 of those wins have come from Fresno State and Colorado State, for what that's worth. And just to, for comparison, LSU's is 32 and 33. 14 of the losses coming from BYU and Chattanooga combined. So I think both teams' schedules really have not lived up to what – I mean, especially teams like Florida. I mean, I think Auburn's still a pretty good team. That BYU win doesn't look nearly as impressive with how they've struggled. Mm-hmm. Florida just fired Jim McElwain, so obviously they're going through some struggles – um, so I think for both teams, this is, I mean, obviously for LSU, but I think also for Alabama, this is um, the biggest test that they're going to have so far. And you mentioned earlier Calvin Ridley, and I was a little surprised. I, mean, I knew he was, he's a stud, and that's, he, he has 523 receiving yards. He averages 12, uh, nearly 13 yards a catch, um, a pair of touchdowns. He has 41 of the team's 123 catches. The next closest guy Jerry Judy has has only 12. So I think one of the biggest matchups is going to be whoever they put on. I'm assuming it'll be Greedy. They might switch it up. Maybe um, Kevin Tolliver or Dante will get their run at, at Ridley at some point. But I think that's going to be a huge matchup to watch. Like you said, if you take one playoff, he's, I mean, the same way we saw Patrick Peterson and Julio Jones duke it out. One play, Patrick Peterson's out, and 
uh, Julio Jones takes takes it to the house. So I think that's that's going to be something to keep an eye on, um, especially. I mean, obviously Alabama is going to be a a run first team, uh, very run heavy, especially with Jalen Hurts back there. He's actually their leading carrier. I guess part of those are sacks, but um, that's 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 going to be a matchup to watch. Is Calvin Ridley on whatever defensive back, greedy Kevin Tolliver, Dante, whoever's on him? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I thought about that. How much confidence LSU has in Greedy Williams in, I think, probably most of the the case, as well as just the progress that they've seen from Dante Jackson and Kevin Tolliver playing better the last few games than they were necessarily playing earlier in the year to the point of how much can you maybe move those safeties up just a little bit to help in yeah. in some of the the run contained because there's no question that the the rushing attack is the primary concern in terms of what LSU has to face with regards to where Alabama gets most of most of its offense but they've got guys Calvin Ridley number 1A um who who can hurt you as soon as you don't respect the passing game cuz Jalen Hurts he doesn't he hasn't had to pass it as much as most of these SEC quarterbacks. He, I think, is 10th in the league in mm-hmm. pass attempts and 11th in the league in in passing yardage. But he's been efficient. His 62.9% yeah. is, I think, third in the in the conference right now. And so he will he will make you pay when you give him the opportunity to do so. And so I, I just think you you hope that your corners can hold up there into the bargain that the safeties don't get tricked in situations and and they're where they need to be whether that be up helping and run support or in a situation if they if they need to be back that they don't bite on on some sort of play action and that you need to contain that running game and force the throws that Jalen Hurts does make to be in situations like we saw last year where you kind of know that it's it's coming and it's in a third and medium to third and long and and you take away some of the the guesswork a little bit and then don't let him break you down and burn you with his legs in that instance too i it, i feel like every time you say all right well just do this but then also don't let this happen <laughs> yeah, don't let this yeah. happen don't let this happen but that's kind of my outlook on it and that's i mean that's what makes alabama so so dangerous is i mean we saw it last year lsu did really well defending the pass and then what beats him is is jalen on his feet making two big plays um get into the end zone um, if you want to know, I mean, just straight numbers wise, the passing games between LSU and Alabama are, are remarkably similar. I, obviously, it looks a little bit different, but um, LSU averages 201.5 uh, passing yards per game. Alabama is at 201.0, so a half yard difference there. Etling and Hertz both have nine t- touchdowns to one interception. Their QBRs are about six points away from each other. So, I mean, these two, just in terms of their production numbers wise, is is really close. What where Alabama stands out is behind that huge, strong O line um, in their rushing attack. They have um, LSU has one thousand seven hundred and thirty yards on the season rushing. Alabama has two thousand three hundred ninety with twenty eight rushing touchdowns, which is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so that's I mean, and, and what's not great news for LSU fans is that the LSU's rush defense has been one of the gotten better in recent weeks, but that has been one of the issues is some of those big gashing runs up the middle. They're mid the middle of the pack in the conference, giving up 146 rush yards per game. Um, whereas Alabama averages 
just about 300 yard, rush yards per game. Um, so, I mean, on, on paper, it's you want – if there's going to be a formula for success, you're going to want Jalen Hurts to have to beat you with his arm and ideally not to Calvin Ridley, make some of these other guys um, make plays. And that's kind of – let's kind of shift gears a little bit and go in that direction. Like what what is, in your mind, the formula – for LSU to get out with the win. I mean, obviously, it's going to have to be a big upset and a lot's going to have to go right. What, what do you think? Let's start offensively. What does LSU have to do offensively to, to leave Bryant Denny with the win? The offense, I think, needs to do similar to what you're saying with regards of Danny Etling's not turning the ball over. Uh, I think he probably needs to make a few more plays than he's necessarily made in some of these recent games but to continue to protect the football. And that we'll need to see Matt Canada have one of his best called games, one of his more creative games, and find ways for for Danny Etling and that offense to get the ball into the playmakers' hands with more space than we've typically seen them get the ball in their hands in this matchup to give a few opportunities for Darius to break something or, or one of these other guys to, to break something. And... And I think they need to get – I think they're going to need it to be a low, low-ish scoring game, but that even if they can contain Alabama pretty well, that they'll probably need to get into the high teens, maybe low 20s, and and then on the flip side, obviously, have, have another great defensive game similar to what we saw for mm-hmm. beyond three quarters last year where, where they were able to actually make things go the, the way they wanted to. And shoot, we'll see. Yeah, I, I, the biggest key to me, and I told you before, we're going to talk about you know picking a player or a position position group to to watch is going to be the key to the offense. But I think it's it's a lot of it's going to have going to start up front with the with the O line, and we've seen the past however many years LSU has struggled. I mean, they, I know they try to run the ball up the middle, but the O line has been getting dominated, and um, I mean, just pitching for net, getting hit at the line of scrimmage or behind it over and over and over again and never giving him an opportunity to, to, to get something going. Um, the one thing that I think is is positive for LSU this year is, like we talked about last week, is just the number of different guys who get touches and the number of ways they get touches is very different this year. Yeah. Whether it's the end of rounds, the shovel passes, they've even gotten Darius involved with a little more creativity the way they get him the ball. So if you're looking for – you know, again, some kind of positive sign to take against this studly defense. It's at least there's so many different looks on tape and on paper for Alabama to have to account for with the Matt Canada-style offense. And you're right, he's going to have to call a, a brilliant game. We both agree that that Ole Miss game might have been the best game he's called all season so far. Yeah. They're, they're going to need a wide receiver to catch a ball though, yeah. at some point. It's, at some point. They also will probably need a tight end or a yeah. H-back or you know whatever, whatever you want to call those to get involved. And they're going to – I've said it probably three different times, and I've been over three, but maybe this is the time we start seeing some of those creative trick plays that Matt Canada, you know, everyone was watching those YouTube videos when they hired him, getting left tackles involved and that kind of thing. Um, but it's going to have to be a lot of creativity um, and a lot of different looks for Alabama. And hope you can kind of just bust open a big play that we've seen Russell Gage make before. Foster Morrow tied in um, the, the touchdown catch he had last week. Uh, just busted coverage at some point, miscommunication, misassignment. Um, that's the least to me. That's going to be the the key offensively. And then the the defensive side of the ball is interesting because um, I, I don't Alabama's rushing attack is is really good. 
and I think we can all I mean obviously that's their their bread and butter what was surprising to me they have a plus 10 turnover margin but they fumbled the ball 13 times in eight games they've just recovered 10 of those 13 fumbles so there's an opportunity to get turnovers you said they come few and far between which is true if you if you can find a way to force these turnovers and and capitalize on them that's I mean that's the way you flip a game and LSU's Turnover margin is plus three. It's not not bad in its own regard. It's not great like Alabama's leads the country, or top ten in the country. Um, but that's that was an interesting stat. I thought it's a, the thirteen fumbles in eight games is yeah a lot. It's probably something that keeps Nick Saban up at night I'm more than it would sure a lot he's of not people. Not happy uh, just because of his perfectionist attitude, and it's because he knows that if you keep putting the ball on the ground, at some point it's not going to bounce so luckily your way and so if if LSU can make something along those lines happen in this game that can that can be huge how how big of a change of dynamics would it have been last year if that that fumble that Alabama had when they were knocking on the door that everyone kind of thought was a fumble granted we were watching it go down in Baton Rouge if they rule it as a fumble and, and Duke Riley's off to the races yeah so if if something like that can happen and LSU can capitalize that can go a long way in into the formula for a potential upset for sure and the only part of the ball uh we haven't talked about is special teams which is I guess where LSU has the biggest advantage at least in the um kick return a punt return aspect with DJ Chark back there he averages um, 16.9 yards per return, uh, which is seventh in the nation, which is pretty good. Alabama is only averaging 7.3. You wonder if at this point teams are going to stop kicking the DJ when he's been busting open some of these big plays. But um, and just LSU, uh, excuse me, Alabama has also had some struggles in the kicking game. LSU seems to have found its stride with with Connor Culp. On the season, they're only seventy-one point four, but he's made his last five in a row, I believe, which is which is good. Um, on the season, Alabama's at seventy-three point seven field goal percentage, so that's another interesting dynamic. I'm I'm curious to see if LSU get some stops if they punt to DJ or if they just um, try to avoid him because that could be a, a game changer as well. Yeah, absolutely. As much as as gets spent time wise talking about every offense versus every defense and every defense versus every offense week in week out for all these games the special teams gets overlooked so much and yet makes such a huge impact on so many of these games and we've talked about it a few times during the season but any game where you get a quick six plus an extra point potential uh from from a kick return or or something along those lines that that's huge i mean that's that's just such quick points to throw into the equation and it's such a huge momentum shift that if if something like that can happen that that's big any week Mm -hmm. and so usually at this point we'll do our players of the week from the week before obviously on the bye week we don't have that so we're going to do players uh, to watch in this game and we'll start offensively who's going to be the key to the game in your mind for LSU offensively Jared it's some of this is so tough because you you zero in on any one and you realize, well, they're going to need a lot more than, yeah. than that. So, I mean, you need Darius to have a big game and all that, but I mean, how often do we go back to LSU being determined by the quarterback, being able to, to do his job, not make mistakes. And, and as I was saying, in this case in particular, Danny Etling needs to make a few more plays than we have necessarily seen in, in recent weeks. He had, I mean, he had the long, 
the long touchdown to Foster Moreau was mostly Foster running after Ole Miss just bit remarkably on <laughs> on a look to Darius. Um, he might – Danny might have to make a few more throws, a few throws that we saw him miss against Auburn and Florida. And if he can make just a few of those and get a few different guys involved and not turn the ball over, then that's that'll be crucial because if, if he – turns the ball over or if he is unable to be in any way effective or, or make Alabama be honest and, and respect the pass beyond just some little screens and stuff here and there, then it may be a long evening. Yeah. And it was interesting uh, last year after that game, a lot of the, the LSU, both coach O and the players kept saying they didn't think they were overmatched. Oh, they, the, the word they kept saying was execution. They came to execution and they didn't, they didn't execute. And um, I think coach O even not necessarily called out, but said Danny Elling didn't have his best game. And Danny admitted that too. Um, so some of the throws were there, and I think he maybe got some of that deer in the headlights looks last year. I wonder how much of that is going to go away this year, just the having been there and done that and played in some of these environments in the SEC for a full season. So um, Danny's obviously one to circle. I'm going to say, I guess this is cheating, but I'm going to say the, the offensive line um, as a whole. Because I think – We've we talked about Danny every week from detractor to defender, and I'm, I've as the season grows on, I'm feeling more comfortable with Danny, and I think um, he's played pretty well. I think you, when he has time to throw the ball, he has not been a, a bad quarterback. He hasn't been a great quarterback, but he hasn't been a bad one. Yeah, and so I'll I'll say the offensive line, and if they give Danny time and give Darius even just a little bit of room to, because again, like we've all seen, when you get Darius in open field, when you get him one on one with any sort of secondary you know, defensive back or even some linebackers, he can make some magic happen. And this is the healthiest he's going to be after a week break and a big record-setting week against Ole Miss. Um, this is going to be another huge game for Darius. And I think you and I have talked about also in the past about how we've been frustrated with how limited his touches have been in these games against Alabama. So um, it will be nice to see if, if the O-line can open up some holes and allow him to be to be creative. And then defensively, this one's this one's curious, and I'm gonna go back to what I talked about earlier and say I guess it'll be greedy whoever's whoever's trying to lock down Calvin Ridley, because I think if you can isolate that weapon for from Alabama and you can shut you know be a true shutdown on an island corner and allow the rest of your guys to focus on the rushing attack and and having some sort of spy on on Jalen Hurts and preventing him from beating it with his feet. <laughs> Again, this all sounds so easy on paper, but um, I think that matchup is huge. Be- being that he is their big X factor in the passing game, if you can shut that down and allow more focus to go to the run game, I think that gives you a um, a fighting chance. Yeah, I agree with with all of that. Like we talked a little bit about earlier, with with good corner play, it allows you to be a little bit more confident. And- do a little bit more with with the safeties and linebackers and all those things and then on the flip side I'll say I think the defensive line needs to hold its own and not get pushed around and in doing so allow the linebackers to be a little bit more free let Devin White be able to move around and get side to side and make plays uh, the way that we've seen him do for most of the season and not get in a situation where the Alabama offensive line is getting so much push that you're already two yards deep and a guy's already getting to Devin before Devin has a chance to do anything. And, I mean, around Devin, we've seen Arden Key come along, some of these other guys, and just giving them some space to work in that 
that front group I think can be big. It's it's going to take all 11 on the field at any given time and I mean way beyond that because they'll they'll need guys coming off the bench to do big things but those are two areas that definitely stand out yeah for sure and I think it's good for the defensive line they also in the same light that we talked about Darius being healthy they seem to be as healthy as they've been all year um Rashard Lawrence getting getting a break to to get his injuries Arden Key getting back into shape Frank Heron getting back into the into the swing of it so hopefully um like you said, they can they can show up and allow the linebackers, especially Devin White. And we've seen him maybe make plays all season, not only tackles but force some turnovers. And um, again, all is going to have to go right for LSU to do to pull this one off. Uh, score predictions? Yeah, <laughs> you want to just hold off on this one for this I, week? Or? I think that we have the potential to see things be interesting and promising and, and whatnot for a little bit, but I think at some point Alabama does burn LSU for a big back-breaking play or two, and that just it just puts a little bit of distance to it and that you end up with something along the lines of a 31-13 to mm-hmm. final. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree. And I think, like you said, that one could be close. It could be a you know, twenty-one thirteen type game for a while, and then a couple of big plays break it up at the end. Um, I want to believe. I, <laughs> I want to believe. Uh, I, I the twenty-one point spread still seems quite large to me, especially with how close these games have been. And like I mentioned earlier, I, not that I can't see the game going that way, but I, just for prediction's sake, I, I think it'll be a a closer game than that. I think that um, thirty point range somewhere in the maybe 35 um I man trying to picture LSU offense putting up points against his defense is tough yeah um yeah something I'll, I'll go similar to what you said I'll, I'll lower it a little bit and say um 28 10 which is not a huge difference from the 21 point spread but still um yeah 28 10 That'll do it for the 11th episode of the Tiger Pride Podcast. We hope you enjoyed everything. Another big thanks to Matt Moscona and Jarrett Rosier for being on this week's episode. Don't forget to follow them on Twitter. He's at Matt Moscona and at Jarrett Rosier. I am at Mark Clements 225 And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. That is the Tiger Pride Podcast or search for 225 Magazine. Subscribe, download, it'll pop up on your smartphone or on your iTunes every time we publish a new episode. Don't forget to get to 225batonrouge.com as well. Our November issue is up. It's about all the arts around Baton Rouge, why they're important. We've got dancers, we've got singers, we've got musicians. Any kind of art around Baton Rouge you can imagine, we cover and tell you why it's important. I don't ever want to hear you say there's nothing to do in Baton Rouge again. There is so much going on in this city. Check it all out. That's 225batonrouge.com, on facebook.com slash 225magazine, and on Instagram and Twitter at 225batonrouge. And as always, leave us your questions, concerns, comments on any of the above social medias, and we will do our best to answer them in the upcoming episodes of the podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week.